Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to Affected by Altitude, a Purple Row podcast for and by Rockies fans. Thank you for joining us as we discuss all things baseball and Colorado Rockies. Welcome to Affected by Altitude. This is the Purple Row affiliated podcast of the Colorado Rockies Purple Row, the Rockies affiliation of SB Nation. This is a bit of a throwback. I haven't gotten to host one of these things in a long time because my man Skylar Timmons has been our host for the last few months, but Skylar is out today. So it's just a two-man show. Myself, Mac Wilcox, here as always with my partner in crime, my best man, my my Jedi partner, because we always got to throw some sort of pop culture reference in there. Evan Lang, what's up, man? Uh, I did finally finish Kenobi. It's bomb, right? Right? It was really, really, really good. No spoilers on this podcast, because we don't know who's seen it, but that like last little ending shot had me tearing up big time. What really got me was sort of the the big thing in the in the middle that they were leading up to. Yeah, And man. Mac, I'll have to talk, oh. to you, talk to you about that off air, but... 100%. It was... Really, really good finale. I think it stuck the landing uh, very well. 100%. And it's good to have you back because you were at um, you were at some sort of Comic-Con last weekend, right? I was, yeah. I went to Denver Fan Expo last weekend, which was a blast. I spent entirely too much money. Uh, a truly worrying amount of money. But I am back here today. I may or may not have a custom-made lightsaber to my left and a life-size Thor hammer to my right. But that is neither here nor there because we have got Rockies news to get into. We're going to skip the icebreaker this time around and just jump into all the different Rockies news updates and everything that we got to get into. The first of which is something that you and Skyler kind of touched on briefly last week, which is the return officially of Chris Bryant. He looks like he's feeling good. That back looks like it's just about 100%. And... In the games that he's played since then, he's looked really sharp, including his first home run in a Rockies uniform. 
So just briefly, I mean, where are you at as far as seeing Chris Bryant back in the Rockies lineup and being pre- pretty productive? Uh, KB has – he was hitting honestly pretty well before he hit the injured list, and we touched on this – um, briefly over the last couple weeks that before he had the injured list in those uh, 15 or so games in April he played, you know, he was he was hitting really well, but the power stroke just wasn't there. Uh, he ended April with a, a line of 281, 338, 351, but he just wasn't getting extra base hits. He had something like three doubles in the entire month of April, and that was it. But since coming back to the lineup on June 27th, uh, Chris Bryant threw... 38 plate appearances, slashing 306, 342, 444 in that time frame. He's got two doubles already. Uh, He's only struck out twice, drawn two walks, and he hit his first home run, which sort of barely squeaked past the fence at Dodger Stadium. But it still was something that we needed to see from him that, you know, his, his power stroke is coming back. I think even more evident of that was during last night's game against the Arizona Diamondbacks uh, in Chase Field, he hit a double that went about 426 feet and bounced high off of that center field wall that they have out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would have been a home run according to the uh, Twitter account Would It Dong, which is uh, honestly a great, <laughs> a great Twitter name. account. Hilarious name, but also yeah, it, it shows you... Um, how a home run ball would fare in all the other ballparks in Major League Baseball. So that, that double hit by Chris Bryant would have been a home run in 27 of the 30 Major League ballparks. 426 feet and well high enough to clear that wall. So I think we're going to start seeing more from KB. There's been a lot of complaints about KB of, oh, we're paying so much money and he's only got a one home run through 80-something ball games, And that's... Fair to an extent, and I say extent because you need to keep in mind that Chris Bryant hasn't played 83 games. Chris Bryant has played 26 games, and the injury really stinks, but he's got plenty of time to sort of click things back on and get back into it, and he's signed through the next six seasons after this year. So I think a lot of people need to really you know, calm down, take a step back, yeah, it stinks that he was hurt. Yeah, it stinks that he's only got one home run so far. But he's got the whole second half of the season to really click things back on. Definitely. Yeah, let's pump the brakes just a little bit on the you know, worries about Chris Bryant. Like you said, lots of time still to be spent in Rockies uniform. And uh, you know, if the last week or so is just something to go off of, he looks like he'll be doing just fine in Denver. So let's go into a different sort of player spotlight. Last week, of course, was the first episode of July with that on the Affected by Altitude podcast, we always like to talk about the players of the month for the previous month, June. Evan and Skyler did just that. I was not around. So I'll go ahead and add mine for the last uh, month or so and see what you think about this and maybe disagree, if you will. For the pitcher of the month, for me, it's got to be Daniel Bard. Bard appeared in multiple games. He pitched 12 and a third inning, recorded 12 strikeouts during that frame, uh, during that time frame. More walks than you'd like to see, seven walks in that period. But in general... Absolutely lights out. Just one earned run allowed through the entire month of June in those 12 and a third outings and was able to record four saves in as many opportunities. He was totally locked in for the month of June. Off to a little bit of a shaky start here in July, uh, you know, considering where he was at last month. But that was my pitch of the month for June. Daniel Bard is absolutely lights out. On the other side for the player, the position player of June for me, I was kind of thinking about maybe going C.J. Crone just for his continued consistency 
phenomenal work that he's done just being the offensive powerhouse that he's been. But I went with Charlie Blackman, 308 average in the month of June. He knocked in uh, 18 runs, which is the most uh, so far in the season for him. He also had four home runs, excuse me, five home runs, six doubles, even threw a triple in there as well. Charlie's really started, as we all know, really reaching a lot of different career accolades, both personally, individually, and also on a team level. So those are my two plays of the month of June. Agree or disagree on those two picks? Uh, I So I think this might be the first time of the season where we're completely unanimous. Yeah. Um, so yeah. both Skyler and I last week, if you hadn't had a chance to listen to the show, um, did indeed select Charlie Blackman and... Daniel Bard as our players of the month, and who'd you say? Who would you say is your MVP again? I have to go overall with Charlie Blackman, just because again, as a position player, he's going to be out there more often than Daniel Bard is. It's a tough pick either way because Bard has really held down that bullpen well, but Charlie Blackman's my MVP as well. Yeah, we are completely unanimous. Look at that clean sweep for the boys that affected by altitude. You love to see uh, it, because in April for uh, pitcher you went. Chad Cool and player you went right. Randall Gritchick with MVP being Gritchick. Mm-hmm. I went Chad Cool pitcher player Connor Joe MVP Connor Joe, and mm-hmm. Skyler went uh, pitcher Chad Cool. So Chad Cool swept, but then for player yeah, yeah. we had three different ones. He went CJ Chrome with his MVP being CJ. So we had three different players and three different MVPs, uh, and then we had Kenneth on um, end of April as well. He said Daniel Bard and C.J. Crone, MVP C.J. Crone. See, this is what's nice. Evan has all the stats of the history, man. This is cool. What about for May? For May, uh, we were again all agreed on pitcher. Uh, all three of us said Tyler Kinley. And then, Mac, you and I were on the same page. Um, we said for both player and MVP, it was Brendan Rodgers. Had to be Brendan Whereas uh, Skyler went with C.J. Crone for player and MVP. So this is the first time of the season where... All three of us, granted being across different episodes, huh. uh, it counts. basically all agreed on the same thing. And and I totally do. I'll touch on Daniel Bard again for a little bit. Please. So Daniel Bard had, had kind of a tough outing against the Dodgers in the final game of that series. And yeah, that was not a good outing from him. Two singles and a walk to load the bases with no outs. Put the Rockies in a really tricky situation. But what really lost us that game there in the end was, in addition to that, there was just sort of this complete defensive breakdown on the play. The Rockies did sort of an interesting move where they pulled in um, five infielders. So they they took Randall uh, Gritchick out of the game and put in Garrett Hampson, using him as a fifth outfielder. So you had going from third base to first base, you had Ryan McMahon, you had Garrett Hampson, Jose Iglesias, Brennan Rogers, and CJ Crone. And then in the outfield, you only had uh, Chris Bryant and Charlie Blackman. And the goal there is to induce a double play or to guarantee the force out at home. And what happened was, and it was super, super frustrating, so I rewatched this play a bunch yesterday. And uh, I put my thoughts about it on Twitter. I talked about it in our team Slack as well, if you... Uh, if you saw it last night or or whenever, Mac. But basically what happened was, uh, so Mookie Betts, with bases loaded, hits an infield grounder. L- launch angle was something like negative 48 degrees, and it traveled like a total of three feet before bouncing uh, around at the pitcher's mound. 
Not exactly like a screaming line drive off the bat, was it? No, not at all. It was a play where you pretty much could guarantee or at least make sure that you had the force out at home to keep the run from scoring. If you got really lucky, that could have been a double play ball, which would have been a huge thing to send that game into extra innings. Yes. But... Brandon Rogers zeroing in on the ball from second place, uh, from second base, and he's clearly setting up the force out at home to stop Cody Bellinger, who was at third base. Jose Iglesias, who... I'm sorry, has really been defensively bad this season. He's had a couple really interesting plays, but overall, he's one of the worst defenders in the league, and he is, I believe, by DRS, defensive run save, the second worst shortstop in all of Major League Baseball with negative seven. Jose Iglesias completely cuts him off on the play before he can get to the ball, and he's motioning to direct the play to first. So he, he goes through the motion like as he, if, if he had picked up the ball that he would have thrown to first base, which would have been completely moot because Bellinger would have scored from third. Hampson is, is approaching in on the play while McMahon is sticking close to third base to check the runner in case of the force out. But what really happens there is that Jose Iglesias cutting off Brandon Rogers causes the play to completely break down and then no one ends up with the ball. And the, the run scores anyway. And Mookie Betts didn't even get credit with a hit for this. So it was originally said that it was supposed to be Mookie's uh, first walk-off hit in a Dodgers uniform, and it ended up being a fielder's choice on the score sheet. So it just completely broke down all because of that really bad play awareness. And so was Daniel Barr, did he have a, did he have a difficult outing on, on that game against the Dodgers? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Rocky should have never been in that situation to begin with, but it was a combination of that and that really bad defensive awareness from Jose Iglesias that is is what put an end to that game overall. Because there was still a chance, had that play gone right, that Bard gets out of it. Yeah. It's one of those ones where you look back on and you really kind of kick yourself because you're exactly right. It's a, it's a play that seemed to have been at least within the realm of possibility of happening and potentially turning into a big opportunity to escape a rough situation for the Rockies. And yeah, it just didn't kind of turn out that way it's one of those ones, baseball's an explosive sport. You know, you got to make a split-second decision. Unfortunately, this was not the, the right one in that sense, um, or at least in that situation. Yeah, and then and then last night, Daniel Bard came through and got his um, 17th save of the season. Exactly. Exactly right. And as, and as those situations happen, that's what the closer has to do, right? He has to come back and, and just kind of bounce back from that rough outing. And just like you said, he came back and locked it down. Uh, one, two, three in against the Dimebacks. It was great. And that's what people love seeing about out of Daniel Bard. Um, the Rockies, though, have undergone a bit of a significant change recently. Lots of moves, and I'll kind of let you talk about which one you want to get into first, but lots of, of moves made for the Rockies recently, including Antonio Sensatella officially hitting the DL, excuse me, the IL. We thought this might be the case after he had that start uh, recently where his shoulder was really tightening up. He left after just two innings of work. He is officially on the IL, and to replace him in somewhat of a surprising move, the Rockies actually called up Jose Urania to uh, make a start recently against the Dodgers in that game that we discussed just now, that, that game that the Dodgers ended up winning uh, in that uh, walk-off fielder's choice. And maybe even more surprising was the fact that Jose Urania pitched his butt off 
he looked really strong in his six and two-thirds innings, gave up just the one run, um, and he didn't even really give it up. You know, that run scored after he was removed from the game. So, Evan, talk about those two things. Sensitella being hurt, what does that mean for the team? And what do you, you see out of Jose Urania's start, and what are you looking to see going forward? Yeah, so we'll start with, with Senzi hitting the IL, and this one was a real bummer because it's a tough one. He, he didn't look super sharp when he made his start. It was against the Arizona Diamondbacks on July 1st. Uh, his velocity was down. He wasn't hitting his locations as well. Give up a home run and three earned runs off of four hits in uh, two innings pitched. And, you know, Senzi, Senzi gives up a ton of contact, so the hits weren't a big deal. But the, that velocity being down in the home run where Sensatela still is one of, though his um, his fly ball percentage is definitely up this season compared to previous seasons, he's one of the guys who really does a better job limiting the long ball in this Rockies rotation. And so, you know, he, he wasn't looking right, and he comes out of the game after two innings with that shoulder inflammation. It was really sad because, you know, Sensatella was talking about how he was like, he was feeling scared because he'd never had any sort of shoulder issues before. And this was before, you know, his MRI came back negative or anything like that. Mm -hmm. MRI comes back negative, which is great, but the Rockies shut him down for 15 days onto the IL, which is understandable, a little bit frustrating because, um, they made the injury seem like it might be less serious because they were like, oh, his MRI came back negative. We're not too worried about it. And then immediately put him on the IL. But, right. you know, that's neither here nor there. Sensatella this year has been a little all over the place. But generally, especially in June, uh, he was good for at least five innings. And he had a he had a couple good quality starts thrown in there. Um at least at least two quality starts and overall has been not really as expected compared to last year where last year he was the the ground ball king versus this year he's he's giving up a lot more line drive and fly ball contact but the the big thing with him is that he's still a really important part of this rotation and when you lose him we don't really have great pitching depth, especially with Ryan Feltner hitting the injured list down in AAA. Uh, Ashton Godot has has really been struggling down in AAA. He's got an area of like 12.46 right now. And so when you lose a part of this rotation, you just are sort of stuck wondering, well, what are we going to do? Yes. It's tough for Sensatella specifically because, as you mentioned, he's come in you know, kind of struggling throughout the season. You'll see these flashes where, you know, he can get those five, six innings into games. But, you know, looking at the stats from this year, you've said it yourself, he's given up a lot of hard contact, and that is very true. His batting average against is 365, and that's actually down from what it was a few weeks ago. He's actually started to pick it up a little bit recently. Um, his 4.95 earned run average, obviously just shy of that, you know, five earned runs allowed per game. He is just giving up a lot of base hits, a lot of line drives, and, you know, it's one of those things where maybe some time will help him in a way, right? Maybe some time away to just kind of heal his body, maybe figure out a different way of pitching, maybe figure out a new plan of attack so that when he comes back, he can start getting... He's never been a big strikeout guy, but that weak contact, like you said, the ground ball king, we're so used to seeing that out of Sensatella is just getting that weak contact throughout the games, 
keeping his infielders busy, keeping his infielders engaged, and getting those quick outs. But as Sensatela hits the IL, we had Jose Urania come up. Like I said, Urania pitched six and two-thirds innings, allowed just the one run, looked really solid. And I think all of us, you, you know, you and me included, when we saw that he was coming up, respectfully, right, I don't think we really expected much out of that start just because he'd kind of struggled in the minors in uh, the Rockies organization, hasn't pitched uh, very consistently at the major league level in a while. And so when he was called up, especially to play the Dodgers in Los Angeles, a, you know, a place that the Rockies can't buy a win recently, it was one of those moments where I think we were kind of like, oh, let's let's see what comes of this. And then sure enough, six and two-thirds innings, just the five hits allowed, three walks, okay, a little more than you'd like maybe, but a couple of strikeouts, just the one earned run. So talk to me about Urania. You know, is this sustainable? Do you think that he could end up being a significant part of this rotation? Where are you at on Urania in general? I mean, I don't know how sustainable it is. Um, some of his, his more advanced uh, metrics like FIP and XFIP are are pretty bad, like hovering around five, and they have been for his last couple years in the majors. But the, the big thing for Urania is how much he exceeded expectations, at least in that game, because he had really not been doing that well. In five starts... With the Albuquerque Isotopes, he had an ERA of 7.29. Like, he was just really getting lit up down in the PCL. And when he got called up, it really was a, we don't have the depth for much else here. And so it was super, super duper frustrating because you wanted, you know, you want the, first of all, you want, you know, Sensatela or whoever should be making that start to make that start. But you also see the recurring theme of this team struggling to have solid major league level starting pitching depth. Where, you know, Jose Urania hasn't been a major league starter in a while. And he uh, he spent some time with the Milwaukee Brewers, I think, earlier in the season as a reliever and did okay uh, through to the tune of a 3.52 ERA, but uh, his FIP was still 5.97. And so you weren't really sure how reliable he was going to be, especially because the last... He spent some time as a starter with the with the Tigers last year and put up an ERA of like 5.81 through 18 starts and 26 total appearances. So the Tigers sort of moved him into the bullpen too. Again, that high FIP of 5.02. So after combining that and really looking at how he had struggled in uh, with the Albuquerque Isotopes, I was not looking forward to his start at all. And yet, right? Like, it was. It's so interesting that, like you mentioned, the Rockies really do need that major league starting pitching depth. Especially, I mean, when you think about it, the Rockies have a lot of pitchers that are either hurt or not in the position that we thought they may have been at the start of the season. So looking all over, you know, just look at the Rockies 40-man roster right now. We thought that Jordan Sheffield, after the great year he had last season, was going to be a significant part of this Rockies bullpen this season. He has not been. Chad Smith's kind of been up and down a little bit. Robert Stevenson's struggled a little bit. Of course, the, you know, number of injuries to Rockies relievers, obviously Scott Oberg, who, 
continues to have those blood clot problems. We had Tyler Kinley go down for the season just the other day. Sensatella is now on the injured list. Ryan Rolson's been dealing with uh, injuries throughout his um, entire season. Hasn't pitched this year. Is unlikely to. Elkris Oliveras, same thing. You've got Ryan Feltner, who is still on the IL as well. And so you're constantly shifting around and trying to find you know, new bullpen arms to fill in those later innings, as well as finding those starters. And maybe Jose Urena can be somebody for the Rockies. You know, like you said, maybe not a, an all-star, maybe not, you know, the, the ace of the rotation. But if that first start in L.A. is anything to go off of, maybe there's more to him than we might have originally thought. Fingers crossed he can keep that kind of positive momentum going and continue to develop into somebody that can eat those innings for the Rockies and keep them in contention, um, at the very least, for winning games, if not, you know, for a playoff spot. Yeah, the the big thing for, for Urania is I think – it's unfair to expect him to replicate what he did against the Dodgers, where yes. 6.2 innings of, um, really for him, it was scoreless baseball. That one earned run he's credited with um, scored when the rookie Jake Bird took the reins for the end of the seventh inning. Gave yes. up five hits, three walks, two strikeouts. The three walks were an issue. The two strikeouts you know, could have been more, but you're holding one of the best offenses in baseball to one earned run through six and two thirds innings. And that, you know, that team only scored one run through eight innings. And then, you know, the walk off in the, in the ninth, I think it's unfair to expect Urania to replicate that, especially when, you know, we sort of know more what his, his resume looks like. You don't want to have unreal expectations of, uh, a guy making his you know second or third start in the big leagues this year. Mm-hmm. But he has definitely earned, and Bud Black said as much, he's earned a second start and he will be getting a second start. So yeah. we're going to see if Urania can have at least a second successful start this year before we have to sort of reshuffle things around again because we, we had to DFA someone to get him up onto the 40-man and bring him up to the active roster. And so... You know, you want Urania to do more than just start one or two games. And if he can be solid, a uh, solid depth piece for the rest of the season, because you can move him back to the bullpen when Sensatella comes back, if you want to keep him um, on this on this team moving forward. But the big thing for for Urania is just seeing how he does in that in that second and maybe third start, and then reevaluating after that. He's going to get at least one more start before the All Star break here, and then you know go from there. Yep, absolutely. And you mentioned there that we had to DFA somebody to make a, a spot for Urania. Let's get into this real quick before we head to our uh, ad break. This one, at least to me, was surprising. Um, and it's possible, it's not you know confirmed, but it is possible that this could be the end of the Rockies' relationship with Colton Welker. Colton Welker was selected in the fourth round of the 2016 draft. He you know, is a multiple-time All-Star in various levels of Colorado's minor league system. Spent, um, you know, all of 2020 uh, out of the game because of the, you know, COVID-19 pandemic, of course, and then made his major league debut last season in September. Uh, You know, no real significant success there, but that's fine. There's not very much to go off of there. Obviously, bit of his uh, minor league career was derailed when he was suspended for 80 games after testing positive for a banned substance, and they have officially designated him for assignment as of two days ago when we record on Friday, on July 6th. And like you said, that was to make room for Jose Urania. 
Colton Welker was at one point considered to potentially be the next Arenado, or at the very least, the next, like, this is going to be your third baseman for the future. Lock him into that spot. He is going to be your man on the hot corner for the next however long, right? Like, that was the expectation that I think a lot of scouts and fans had for Welker. And obviously, it's entirely possible he, you know, gets through the waivers and he stays with the Rockies. But at the very least, like, this is possibly the end of his career in Colorado. Talk about Colton Welker, man. Like, what's your what's your take on this, I guess? Is there anything that, you know, you believe might be a, another option for him? Where are you at on Colton Welker in general? Welker's tough because, you know, we ranked him in our preseason prospect rankings at Purple Row as number 11 um, overall because... We, we know he had that potential, and he's still, I believe, in the top 15 for Rockies prospects via MLB Pipeline. But the issue with Welker, especially over the last two seasons, has been his just total lack of playing time. So he got that 80-game suspension in May of 2021, and then he, he came back and played a little bit at the end of the season. But very, very little playing time in 2021. And then in 2022, he starts the year with this eye infection thing that sidelines him for a large part of spring training and for a large part of the beginning of the season and then injures his batting shoulder. Uh, I believe it was a, a torn labrum or something to that effect in his batting shoulder that basically shut him down for the year. So... In the last two seasons, Welker, this, this one's top corner infield prospect, has barely played. And I think that really hurt his standing within the organization, especially when we are so log-jammed at corner infield, the position Same. where he plays. And we're all, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but we're already having a hard time getting Elaris Montero playing time with mm -hmm. Ryan McMahon and CJ Crone locking down the corners. So there's already not much of a spot for Colton Welker to play on the big league level. So I think it really shows just sort of, you know, Welker, especially with that lack of playing time, sort of falling out of standing with the with the organization. And because he's been hurt, you know, there's, there's a possibility that the Rockies bring him back. I believe he has cleared waivers at this point. Um, so really all that we can do is sort of sit and wait and see if he, you know, ends up back with the minor leagues or if he ends up a free agent. Do you think that this is the last time, or I guess another way of saying this is, do you think that we will see Colton Welker at the big league level um, any on the Rockies in the future? With the Rockies, maybe. I think he, if he doesn't end up um, back with the Rockies organization, he's definitely going to get, you know, picked up, maybe not on a wafer claim, but end up somewhere else and eventually get that shot in the big leagues. If he ends up back with the Rockies organization, I think there's always a chance he'll come back up in some capacity, but he's going to need the time to sort of rebuild himself back up with all the time he's yeah. missed and with the injury. So it's definitely not going to be until who knows when next year, if he ends up back with the organization. Yeah. A lot of question marks surrounding this one, man. This is a this is one I'd definitely keep an eye on, and obviously, keep an eye on the website purplewell.com. We'll give you guys updates on this as uh, as we get them. 
Let's go ahead and take a quick ad break. We'll be coming right back, myself and Evan. We want to talk a little bit more about the Rockies' internal situation on the big league roster. And then we'll get in some news just around baseball, talk about the World Baseball Classic, the Futures game, and uh, anything else that pops in our head. So stick with us through this ad break. We'll be right back. And we are back. Really appreciate you sticking with us through that ad break. Myself and Evan have returned to talk some more Rockies baseball. And, Evan, you alluded to this a little bit in the first part of this recording. Talking about Alejuris Montero, who's been up with the Bailey team for a you know, decent amount of time now. Hasn't gotten a lot of at-bats. So let's talk a little bit about that. Our uh, good friend Thomas Harding at MLB.com, phenomenal writer as always. We love Thomas Harding's work. He has his uh, newsletter, his Rockies Beat, which if you guys have not already uh, spent some time reading his stuff, please make sure you do. Thomas is a great guy, and he works very, very hard on all these. He got a quote from manager Bud Black just a couple days ago about Montero's status. I'm going to read that off here real quick. He says, it's good for a player, and I'll speak generally to all players, not just Montero. It's good for him to be here in a big league environment to see what the everyday processes are, even though he's not starting a game to see how a big league game goes. It's good for him to get on our airplanes and travel, see how that's different from the minor leagues. I think it's good for him to set foot in Dodger Stadium or Coors Field or Chase Field, get in the batting cage, look at the backdrop, see the ballpark, see Julio Urias, see Bruce Dargrado to watch them. So I think it's a positive. Now there comes a point where if he doesn't see a ton of at-bats over a month or two months, and once he's experienced all the things I just mentioned, it's probably best that he plays. So that is the quote from Bud Black regarding Elegiris Montero's status. He's the team's number six prospect. He has, like I said, been with the Rockies for a few weeks now, um, but he's got 27 plate appearances so far. Evan, Montero isn't playing as much as I think a lot of people would prefer him to. With this quote and the context of what Black has said, what are your thoughts on Montero's playing time, lack thereof, or just generally his position on the big league roster? So. <laughs> yeah. Get ready for this one. I know that folks are, are maybe tired of hearing us talk about Montero. This is like the third week in a row we've had to talk about Montero's status and how he's he's not getting the playing time he needs. And this this quote from Bud especially drives me crazy because it is absolutely everything wrong with this team in terms of getting the young guys playing time. It's like, yeah, it's great for Ella Harris or, or whomever to see how the big league process goes. But none of that means anything if he's not getting playing time. And he's not. He's just not getting any playing time. He has 31 plate appearances, and he's been up with the team for almost a month now. And he's he just keeps getting... They can't keep optioning him and recalling him, and he's just sitting on the bench. So, you know, if, it, if it's about earning it, he's not getting a chance to earn it. And what little opportunity he's had, you know, he's slashing 167, 194, 200 over... 30 at-bats with a walk and 14 strikeouts. All right, so those aren't great numbers, but he's not really getting the chance to improve it because he's only got 30 at-bats this season. And that's that's not enough for for a prospect that is so highly touted for, for the guy that, as we said last week, the guy that you got in the Nolan Arenado trade for a dude who's like the Rockies' number five or number six overall prospect who has 
if he can get into a rhythm, really, really intriguing talent because we've seen him in Albuquerque this year slash 327, 395, 536 with 13 home runs and eight, eight doubles and a triple. So extra base potential, power potential, gets on base. But then, you know, he's not doing so great here in the majors, but how much of that is because he's barely played. Because uh, in, in Albuquerque, that's 239 plate appearances over 53 games. Here in the here with the Rockies, where he is incredibly young, um, I want to mention he's got he's like almost six years younger on average than all the other players on this team right now. He's only showed up in ten games and he's only got thirty one plate appearances. That's just not enough. And so for Buddy Black to go, oh well, it's it's good for him to just be here and and ride on the planes and and see the other players play. It's like no, no, it's not. And it's not good enough for him to be doing all that. It's great for him to be doing that, but that is supposed to be in conjunction with getting regular major league playing time. And a good a good um, mirror of this is the Diamondbacks, who we're playing this weekend, have one of the younger rosters in the league and have a lot of their really young guys getting consistent playing time. You know, Geraldo uh, Perdomo, Alec Thomas, um, Buddy Kennedy, all these guys are super-duper young, and maybe they're not doing that great. Like, um, Perdomo, I think, has a 199 batting average. He's 22 years old, and he is at least getting consistent major league at-bats. And, you know, Elijeros Montero, 23 years old, and he's got 31 plate appearances in 2022 on the major league club. And at what point when you are putting him in a game, maybe once or twice a week, do you have to go, this isn't good enough because I want to talk about that, that last part of, of buddy's quote where he's like, now if, if he's not seeing a ton of at bats over a month or two months, then he needs to just play. It's like, he's not seeing a lot of at bats over the last month. So why isn't he just playing then? And that's always been an issue with this team of not getting the young guys playing time until they don't really have any choices to do so. And, you know, if you if you listen last week, you know, Skyler and I talked at length about, like, there's ways to get him into the roster even before you trade stuff of just cycling him into DH or play first base or play third base or do anything you can to get him regular playing time. And the Rockies just aren't doing that. And it's the same with Brian Servin, where uh, Elias Diaz is still the starting catcher, despite really, really struggling behind the plate, both defensively and offensively. And so you would think that, you know, Brian Servin, your rookie, would be getting more looks. And he's he's still not playing all that much. And this goes back years now. We saw it with Jonathan Daza and Raimel Tapia and Dom Nunez and Tom Murphy and all these different players, these young players who weren't afforded the playing time that they needed. And so, I guess, do you think it's almost like, is he better served in AAA at this point, do you think? Like, it's it's almost like, do you think that it's worth it to keep him on the big league roster with these spot starts, or is it better to just let him play every day in AAA? Well, the issue is you don't want to burn all of... So you can only option a player five times in a year now per the mm. CB, uh, per the new CBA. And you don't want to burn all of those because I think you've already burned three of them. Mm-hmm. And 
you want him. I mean, I'll tell you what, he's better served by getting regular playing time and regular major league at bats. Yes. That's what he's best served by. Yes. But if you are not going to give those to him, then they shouldn't have called him up because he was in such a great rhythm in Albuquerque, and now he's just been mostly sitting on the bench for a month. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to your point, you know, rhythm in Albuquerque, as uh, we record today, and uh, his last or most recent slash line at Albuquerque had him rocking a 327, 395, 563 slash line. That'll play at any level. You know what I mean? So it is tough to see a guy like Montero um, kind of riding the pine at the big league level when there's a lot of opportunity to get him in there. Hopefully we'll start to see him more often. Um, he's playing around every fourth game these days. Give it like you know, not consistently, but that's just kind of like what it's shaping up to be. So hopefully he can start getting some more playing time, especially maybe against some left-handed pitchers. Um, you know, get another righty in there to DH or, or give Rymac a day at third or whatever it might be. But yeah, I think a lot of people would agree that it would be maybe in the club's best interest to give him a lot more time because he could be one of the guys that really leads the Rockies into the future. You know, he's he's as you mentioned arguably the biggest name out of the Arenado trade. And he is a guy that I think a lot of fans and, you know, organizational members believe can be a guy that can be a leader and a significant part of the Rockies' future plans. And it's like, and this is the guy that basically has, you know, taken that corner in that top corner infield prospect spot from Colton Welker, who we talked about earlier. And it's like, even if it's not necessarily in the best interest of the team, at this point in the season, as we're, we're about halfway done, losing record, basement in the NL West, who cares about that? It needs to be more about what's in the best interest of the player and the future of the team. And it's like, CJ Crone's not going to be around forever. There's going to be a roster spot open at some point. And you want this 23-year-old to be ready to go sooner rather than later, especially when he really is showing that he doesn't have a whole lot to prove in the minor leagues. Yeah. Yeah. There's not a, and this is one that's a bummer because like, I think a lot of times we can kind of speculate and like think about what's going to happen next. And then this one, we kind of can't just because like, it is just one of those things the organization is going to have to figure out, um, you know, what time they want to give them. And as we talk about one potential star in the Rockies' future, we can talk about a couple others. The rosters for the minor leagues' future game have come out, and we've got a couple of representatives in Zach Veen, who continues to be a highly touted Rockies prospect uh, in their outfield. And then Ezekiel Tovar, who we've talked about a little bit on this podcast, has really kind of made a meteoric rise in the eyes of a lot of Rockies fans and scouts. Those two players will be representing the Rockies in that futures game. So just, Evan, what do, you, what do you got on these two players? I know, obviously, we're both very high on Veen and definitely Tovar. We think it's very quickly approaching Tovar time here at the Major League level. But uh, what are you looking to get out of them in the Futures game? If anything, is it just kind of a showcase for them, or should they really be trying to make an impact in that one game? Yeah, Futures game is always a showcase. More than, more than anything else, it's a chance for these big prospects to really establish themselves on a more, more national level. And, and Veen and Tovar... Definitely get talked about a lot more often. Um, you know, they're they're two of our four prospects in the top 100. Uh, Veen is, I think, 23, and Tovar is something like 58. 
but it's always nice to have more people talking about your prospects. I talked about um, this week on my Thursday Rock Pile that I think the Rockies farm system is is much more unfairly maligned than it deserves to be. It's just a very bottom heavy bottom heavy uh, farm system where so much of our top talent is in low A or high A. Uh, and speaking of that, three of the four uh, top 100 prospects that the Rockies have are in high A or lower. Uh, Zach Veen, Drew Romo, and Adele Amador. But Tovar is the only one who is who's the closest to Major League Ready, where you consider that he might be on the big league roster by the end of the year. And he has been scorching hot this year. Yeah. He's uh, he's an average of four years younger than every other player on Double A Hartford. He's only 20 years old. And in uh, 66 games, he's slashing 318, 386, 546, with 13 home runs and 47 RBI, 17 stolen bases, three triples, and 15 doubles. Like, he is scorching, scorching hot. And he really should be, I think, promoted as soon as possible to AAA Albuquerque because you need to test him and see if he will be ready to go, you know, towards the end of the season, maybe make his big league debut and see where he's going to be at for next year, where if you want to consider that he might break camp with the team versus uh, starting the year in AAA Albuquerque or something. Because next year we are we are set to have an opening at shortstop. And maybe even earlier at that, depending on what we do with the trade deadline here with Jose Iglesias. But Iglesias is signed to a one-year deal. He's not going to be around forever. He's probably not going to be around next year. Mm -hmm. But when he is gone, the next man up for shortstop is this prized young prospect in Ezekiel Tovar. And he's hurt right now. Uh, I believe today is when he is eligible to return to the team from the seven-day injured list. But really, it is, I think you need to give him as much time as as he wants or needs to recover for playing in that Futures game because Veen is is our number one overall prospect. But Tovar is the one that you are going to see in the major leagues sooner. And I think for it to be Tovar time, (laughs) I think a good showing in the Futures game will be good but it's, it is more important for Tovar that he makes it to Albuquerque sooner rather than later and starts getting tested at a higher level of competition. We saw a bunch of other um, players get promoted to various levels in this last week, including one of our other top pitching prospects in Carl Kaufman get promoted to AAA Albuquerque. And this is that time of year, second half of the season, nearing the second half, where you want to promote guys that are really killing it and test them at the higher level of competition to see just how soon they might be ready for big league ball. And mm-hmm. Tovar is so exciting and so fun to watch. And he definitely should be on the radar of every Rockies fan. And hopefully, you know, seeing him in the Futures game puts him on the radar of everybody else. Because the Futures, the Futures game is, is most importantly just a showcase. It's for fun. Right. Like yeah. there, there's nothing huge riding on it other than these young guys getting sort of a taste of big league action at the all-star game events, all-star weekend. And really if they perform well, putting their name more on the map than it already is. Yeah. And I think it's fun because, you know, we, of course, as, as Rockies writers and Rockies fans, like we obviously have a pretty good 
ear to the ground when it comes to the Rockies um, organization and, and its minor league depth. But like you mentioned, maybe a lot of fans of, you know, the other 29 teams don't know about some of these names the Rockies have coming up. So to see guys like Zach Fien and especially Tovar on a national stage like that, it's a very big opportunity for them. Obviously, we're both over the moon for them. Hope they go out there and kill it. Um, it's a great opportunity for those two guys to really show off that they could be, again, like the future of the Rockies. So let's switch gears. We go from the future of the Rockies and potentially the future of baseball to sort of an end of an era. Uh, we've got Miguel Cabrera and Albert Pujols likely ending the, uh, likely approaching the end of their careers. Pujols for sure calling it quits this season. Miguel Cabrera, you know, one assumes probably getting towards that point. They have both been named by Major League Baseball to the All-Star Game. That's part of the new CBA that allows um, special additions to be made without losing roster spots for other players, which is pretty cool. So this doesn't probably take a whole lot of insight, but Miggy, Pujols, they're in the All-Star Game. Um, you stoked about that? You kind of meh about it? Don't really care? Where are you at on that? Cabrera is... Cabrera should have been an All-Star to begin with with how well he's playing. How weird is that, huh? Um, which is absolutely insane. Like he's he's really reaching into the tank this year. Yeah. But honestly, this is one of the things that I don't mind for the commissioner to be able to do uh, as part of the CBA. Basically, he can make a special selection um, to add a player of quote unquote historical significance to each All Star roster. And I think that really worked out in his favor this year because you've got two guys. Uh, in their late 30s, early 40s, nearing the end of their careers in each league. So Pujols going back to the Cardinals for the National League and Miguel Cabrera with the Tigers in the American League. So you've really got, like, straight up these two guys who you can just both add to the roster. And, you know, two of the, the greatest hitters of their generation. So it really is, like, I, I actually like this. I think it's cool that they're getting added. But Miguel Cabrera... Could have been an all-star on his own merit. Yeah. Which, as you said, is crazy for how long he's been around. Like, uh, where is this coming from, from this guy, you know? It's it's really, he's getting on base a lot. Um, his power's definitely not where it used to be. He's only got three home runs so far this year. But where he is at is that he's slashing 308, 347, 372. Uh, OPS of 718. His big thing... It's just that he's he's getting hit. So we saw him get hit number 3,000, and now he's up to 3,065. Um, and he's just sort of sort of climbing that leaderboard where he's he's already over 505 home runs. He's, he's probably not going to get that much higher than that, especially with how his power stroke has really decreased. And, and you can't blame him for that. He's 39 years old. Mm-hmm. Like, power's only going to be there for so long. But I think that's that's what's so crazy about him right now is that a 39-year-old player is putting up these above 300 numbers in every category and has a has a positive RWAR, has has a decent number of hits. He's got 31 RBIs, 18 runs, and 78 total hits this season. And part of it is that he's He's maybe getting a little bit lucky. Sure. His uh, his BABIP is a career high 403 right now, which is not necessarily sustainable. But we keep saying that it's not sustainable. Yet here we are, you know, 82, 83 games of the season. We're at the halfway point of the season basically, and 
you know, he's still trucking along. The the Miggy hit machine just keeps going and going. Mm-hmm. And so I think, honestly, like, I don't know if he was going to make the popular vote, but I think Miguel Cabrera should have been an all-star to begin with, with how he's playing for a man of his age. And, yeah, I'm just like, I'm, a, I'm all for it. This is one of those ones where, like, I don't often agree with sure. Rob Manfred, <laughs> but... In this case, I do agree with him, especially on Maggie's case. Now, Pujols is a little bit of a different story. He's not doing nearly as well this year. Um, he's worth negative .5 RWAR. He's slashing 200, 288, 336. Uh, four home runs and uh, five doubles, but really overall is it's not doing that well. But then you look at he is 42 years old. And this is very much, like he said it as much, he's retiring at the end of the season. Wayno and Yachty are both retiring at the end of the season. This is sort of this last dance for the Cardinals trio. Right. And exactly. I think it is it is very cool for, for Pujols to sort of get one last nod as sort of like a farewell tour kind of thing to be named to his 11th All-Star game and sort of get that, you know, on-stage moment and and sort of, you know, smile, take a bow. Congratulations on a career, Mr. Pujols. Yeah, it's it's very cool, you know. You know, see, seeing guys that have been icons of the sport for the last 15-some-odd years. Like, I agree with you. That I, man, Miguel Cabrera, I just can't believe it. Like, it's, it's so wild to see a guy that's been around for as long as he has that's really still tearing the cover off the ball. And then, as you mentioned, Pujols, a bit of a of a emotional um, ad which is also cool to see. So yeah, giving those guys an opportunity to be recognized for their contributions to the sport. I'm all about it. Um, These are guys with like a combined 30 years of service time and a combined 42 overall career seasons. It's insane. Like that's nuts to think about, isn't it? Like, you know, so longer than we've been alive, these guys have been, have been part of the game. Like that's pretty weird to think about, but yeah, I'm stoked for both of them. Um, you know, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a good ad. Um, one last topic here before we wrap up, uh, as we keep talking about, you know, the legacy of baseball and the history and the grandeur of it, the world baseball classic was announced yesterday to officially be coming back in March of 2023. Um, the world baseball classic obviously was meant to happen every four years. There was that, you know, whole thing about the worldwide pandemic that kind of, Knocked it around a little bit, changed up the scheduling, but the World Baseball Classic is officially coming back in March of 2023. There are going to be qualifiers taking place in Miami and in Arizona, as well as Tokyo, and they're going to do this, you know, really worldwide um, uh, 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 tournament, really, that's going to bring in 16 different teams they're all seated in the first few rounds by the pools, and of course they move on into the knockout rounds. So, I don't know about you. I want you to talk about this, Evan. I will just say real quick, I love the World Baseball Classic. I think it's it's one of the best things that baseball has done in a long time. I think it's exactly what they need to expand upon um, you know, the sport and really get people involved in a sport that I think they could use some more participation in right like baseball's not on the rise like football and basketball like they need especially younger fan bases so to see these players from all over the world we've got australia canada china chinese taipei colombia cuba dr 
Italy, Israel, Japan, Mexico, Netherlands, Puerto Rico, South Korea, the U.S., Venezuela, and then four teams to be determined in the qualifiers. Where are you at in the World Baseball Classic? Are you excited for it? Are you kind of meh about it? Not that big a deal. Talk to me about the WBC. No, I love the World Baseball Classic. Yeah, Super Bowl got canceled. Excellent. And so what about it for you is is so exciting, and why are you so about it? It's My favorite part about the World Baseball Classic is that you know, as an American, you really only get exposed to baseball from like the U.S. and Canada, and like the the handful of you know the baseball teams have lots of representatives from other countries, but it's still you know American baseball. It's still Canadian baseball. It's like yeah, you got guys from Venezuela and Mexico and, and the DR on big league teams, but it's not the same as watching a team made of like exclusively Dominican Republic players or mm. Venezuelan players or stuff like that. And it's, it's really, really, really cool to get to see all these different teams come together. Uh, one of the ones that I always get sort of hyped to watch that you don't really think about is the Netherlands mm-hmm. and Italy and all these other teams that like, when you think about that country, you don't associate them with baseball. And I think the World Baseball Classic is really big for growing baseball as a whole internationally. Yes, 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 yes. you look at the Olympics, right, where they had baseball back for the Summer Olympics, but, you know, the, a lot of the, the teams were sort of the, the usual suspects in terms of countries that we know have an affinity for baseball. And the World Baseball Classic really gets an even further branch out like that, where you get, like, Italy and the Netherlands, and you get uh, the Puerto Rican team. There was talk of a bunch of uh, the Cuban expats wanting to get their own team for the World Baseball Classic. Unfortunately, I don't think that's going to been that's going to happen. But it would have been really, really cool of like because then you get a team of like a bunch of a bunch of these Cuban expats who have been, you know, going through the major leagues together and playing together, just all playing together on one team. Um, you you still get Team Japan and and Team uh, you get your your regular Team Cuba you get Team Dominican Republic and then you get like like I said Team Italy Team Israel Team all these other teams that you don't normally get to see or associate baseball with and I think yeah just I, I'm talking in circles here I guess but it really <laughs> is like if you want to grow the game internationally the World Baseball Classic is is that it's you know it's the world cup basically but for baseball and so okay last thing we're gonna this is so not fair i'm gonna put you on the spot here a little bit but i'm gonna run through each pool and and i'm gonna ask you and i know again it's not totally fair because it's gonna be five teams per pool we don't know the last team in each one so far we only got the four that have already qualified so there's gonna be a fifth team in each one of these pools that's gonna qualify but whatever we have fun here I'm going to give you each pool, and I want you to tell me who are the two teams that are going to make it out of it. And at the end, I want you to tell me who you think is going to take home the prize. So pool A, all games will be played at the Taichung Intercontinental Baseball Stadium in Taiwan. In pool A, we have got Chinese Taipei, who are the hosts, the Netherlands, Cuba, Italy, and a team to be determined. I know it's not super fair because we don't have that fifth team, but who are your two qualifiers for pool A? Tell me the teams again. It was Taiwan it. and who else? Yep, Chinese Taipei. The Netherlands, Cuba, Italy, and a mystery fifteen. I'd go with Cuba. Okay, and who else? Uh, let's go Taiwan. Oh yeah. Okay. Cool. Interesting. Well, they, um, so they they already um, 
play baseball is actually pretty popular in Taiwan. Uh, it's where the the CBPL is with like the the Uni Lions and where uh, former Rockies player Tim Melville plays. Oh, Tim Melville, love that guy. He likes our posts. <laughs> Shouts to Tim Melville if you're listening. Big fan of uh, of all of his work. Uh, okay, Pool B. Pool B and the quarterfinals will take place in Tokyo, Japan. So Pool B is Japan, obviously the hosts. They also have South Korea, Australia, China, and a fifth team. Give me the winner of the pool and the runner-up. Uh, I think Japan and Korea. Yeah. Japan no, it, it, it is the, always the really team. cool to watch Team Australia play. Yeah, I love watching Team Australia as well. A lot of fun players on that team, um, including uh, probably Liam Hendricks uh, was likely to be on that team. Uh, Pool C will take place in Phoenix. That's Chase Field, where the Rockies are actually playing as we record tonight. Uh, That will be Pool C. The U.S., Mexico, Colombia, Canada, and again, a fifth team. Give me the winners and the runner-ups. See, normally I'd say the U.S. and Canada, but I'm not actually sure what Team Canada is going to look like this year. A lot of the, the their big Canadian pitchers are hurt right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't really know if they're going to play or how well they'd perform. I'd say definitely the U.S. And you know, let's go Mexico. Yeah. Mexico is going to have some really interesting players on there. I would love to see if maybe uh, Rockies prospect pitcher Victor Juarez would be on oh. Team Mexico. He is from uh, Monterrey, Mexico, uh, same neck of the woods as former beloved Rockies pitcher Jorge De La Rosa. That's right. De La Rosa, one of the greatest pitchers in Rockies history. Remember that the last time the tournament took place, the U.S. had former you know Rockies all-star uh, Nolan Arenado playing for them. So that's also part of it is which Rockies will get to take place uh, or to take part in this tournament, which will be a lot of fun. And then the last one, Pool D. This will be for Pool D, the uh, the quarterfinals, and the championship will all be taking place at Lone Depot Park in Miami. And that'll be Puerto Rico, Venezuela, the Dominican Republic, Israel, and again, a fifth team. So give me your winners of the pool as well as a runner-up. Oh, that one's a tough one because there's a a lot of really talented players. This is a really tough one. Especially those three that you mentioned, Puerto Rico, Venezuela, and the Dominican Republic. Mm -hmm. Those are like the three baseball countries in... Mm -hmm. That pool, especially oh, Puerto Rico, part of the United States, but you get what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, this I know this is a tough one. Puerto Rico made the made the finals right in the last World Baseball Classic. Give me two seconds, I will tell you. The most recent World Baseball Classic was the 2017 contest. And it was Team USA versus I, I swear it was Puerto Rico. Um, you would be correct yep that was a team u.s beats team puerto rico eight to nothing at dodger stadium in 2017 third place was japan and fourth place was the netherlands tough one tough Very one tough, tough one. one this is that's gonna be a fun division mm-hmm. uh i'm gonna go with puerto rico and venezuela Okay. And I think I like Venezuela it. is going to be lifted up by Ezekiel Tovar, top Rocky shortstop <sighs> prospect. That would be fire. You would catch me cheering for Team Venezuela if he ends up playing for them. That would be amazing. I'll cheer for basically all these teams. World Baseball Classic is so it's much fun. All right, last question. This will be the, And then we'll finally get out of here, man. I'll let you get on. 
and let's do this thing. So, just for quick history, the champions of the last four World Baseball Classics. In 2006 was Japan. In 2009, Japan repeated. In 2013 was the Dominican Republic. And then, as you mentioned, in 2017 was the United States. So, of all the teams you've just mentioned, who do you got? This is a way too early prediction. We don't have rosters or nothing, but we out here. Who is taking home the crown in the 2023 World Baseball Classic? Ooh. You see, you know what my gut tells me? Is Samurai Japan takes it all with Shohei yeah. Otani at the helm. Yeah. Oh, could you imagine? That would be pretty fun. Especially Shohei Otani returning to Samurai Japan after really becoming one of the most exciting big leaguers. That would That's a cool story all in of itself. He would be like a superhero coming back to that team. He basically is a superhero, but yeah, I'm just thinking about because Team Japan is playing their qualifiers in Tokyo, right? Uh, that is correct. They will be at Pool B, which takes place in the Tokyo Dome. Just him being back in the Tokyo Dome. Mm. Uh, so uh, Shohei, of course, played for for Hokkaido out in Sapporo, but you know the Tokyo Dome out in in in, in Tokyo, where they're going to get the most people in there. That stadium is going to be packed with people going bonkers for Shohei, and that's going to be so cool. That will be amazing. But I'm it's, I'm going to say Team say, Japan takes it. You know what? That's not a bad call because all of these teams are seeded currently by their most recent ranking in the WBSC. The WBSC is the World Baseball Softball Confederation. That's the governing body for baseball, softball, and baseball five on a international level. And all the teams are ranked, you know, 1 through 21, as we talked about. And right now, as the tournament, you know, I mean, a bit away, that is, we're talking right now, Japan is ranked the top-seeded team in that uh, in, in that category, in the WBSC, followed by Chinese Taipei. Third place is South Korea. Fourth place is Mexico. Fifth place is the United States. So going with Japan is not a bad call. Especially, especially after they just won gold in the Olympics. I literally took the words out of my mouth. Exactly right. They just took home gold in the Olympics. I don't know if you watch any of Nippon professional baseball. There are some studs out there in Japan right now. Yeah, I wish the fighters were a little bit better right now. They're, Let's go uh, Buffaloes! Yeah. They're sort of, sort of waffling around, especially because one of my favorite uh, players on the fighters is no longer with the fighters. I think he moved on to the uh, Tokyo Rakuten Golden Eagles. And that was uh, Nishikawa Haruki, their uh, second baseman and outfielder. Yeah, it's tough. We like It's funny because you're a fan of the Nippon Ham fighters, and I like the Oryx Buffaloes, who are the two worst teams in uh, their Pacific League division. Um, love that for us. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's going great. <laughs> it's a blast. Um, no, yeah, it, the World Baseball Classic is a phenomenal, fun time. It's a great idea, and I am like you. I cannot wait for it to come back. The Also, shouts to the media team who put out that promo video. I thought it looked fantastic, and it may look like an absolute um, must-watch TV. So definitely looking forward to that in March. And, uh, hey, maybe we'll go out to Arizona catch a couple games, man. You down? I would love to. Yeah, right. I wish I would love to have some of those games out here in Colorado. Honestly, yeah, yeah, that would be incredible having those take place, of course. Um, but that's all we got, man. That is everything for us today. As always, we appreciate all of you guys checking in, listening to us um, talk about Rockies baseball and all kinds of other nutty, nerdy garbage. Uh, Evan, where can our people find you on Twitter and across the internet multiverse? 
Uh, you can find me at Twitter at, at Evan underscore Lang 27. I would love to hear from you. Uh, I got Thursday Rock Piles up on our website, which is purplerow.com. And I also do game coverage on Sundays most of the time. Uh, you can also find us at the official Affected by Altitude Twitter account, which is at Altitude Effect. And uh, Mac, where can our folks find you? No, no, I got to plug you real quick, man, because I want to make sure people also are keeping an eye on your rock piles because you are currently doing a breakdown of the Rockies minor league system and talking about what you mentioned earlier is how deep they really are. Part one of that series went up today, or what, uh, two days ago now. Uh, when do you expect part two? Uh, part two is going to be next week, um, just because I want to strike while the iron's hot. Basically, uh, our friends over at Blake Street Banner put out a list of all the promotions that happened on uh, July 6th. I'm including a couple of extra ones, um, like I included a Worming Burnabell, who got promoted uh, a week prior, but is still recent enough that I want to talk about him. Uh, same with, for the second half, I'll probably talk about Daniel Montano a little bit, because he has just been crazy good this year, and recently promoted to Double Hartford, and really, really killing it there. But, like, so people people know about, Rockies fans, people who are reading Purple Row, are, are going to know about our top 100 prospects. They're going to know about Veen and Tovar, and Romo, and Amador, but they might know as much about might not know as much about some of these other guys like Angel Chavilli or um, or Mason Green or Hunter Goodman. And so I want to shine a light at those and show that, you know, even outside of our guys ranked in the top 100, this farm system is deeper than it gets credit for. Yeah, absolutely. So keep an eye on the website, purple.com, get an eye on Evan's articles and that Rock Pile series talking about the minor leaguers. It's going to be a blast to read. You can find myself, Mac Wilcox. I am on Twitter at Cormac Battle Pro, which is at C-O-R-M-A-C Battle Pro. I do a lot of uh, game coverage on Tuesdays and Fridays. I uh, plug in other articles whenever I get a chance to, just kind of, you know, whenever. Nothing on a, a super tight schedule. Skyler was not with us today, but he is often on this here podcast hosting this thing. Catch him on Twitter at Sideline underscore Crowd. He has done a lot of great work recently, especially rocking it with the Northern Colorado Owls, so make sure you guys check in on him. He's doing a lot of uh, play-by-play for them these days, which is really, really cool. Um, that is all we've got. We, as always, appreciate all of you. Keep an eye on PurpleRoad.com for all news, updates, highlights, recaps, everything you could possibly want related to your Colorado Rockies. And that's all we got. Evan, why don't you go ahead and hit him with it. Get us out of here this week. Oh, I'm going to hit him with it this week. All right. Uh, oh, yeah, bet. Farewell beautiful. Thanks, y'all. And we're out.